We are currently in a series on uh, the book of Exodus, which is the second book in, in the Old Testament. And, and we're also looking at the central character uh, of this story. We're looking at the life of Moses. And last week we saw how that God spoke to our man Moses through a burning bush, a bush that would, would just would not be consumed and, and called him out of 40 years of, of obscurity and commanded him to confront Egypt's king, the great Pharaoh, and demand that he release the Israelites from 400 years of slavery. God had been preparing Moses for 80 years up until this moment. And now God wanted to draw him out of his obscurity and to use this very ordinary man for an extraordinary purpose, to be God's instrument, to deliver his chosen people out of slavery and bondage. But as we saw last week, Moses gave God every excuse in the book for why he needed to pick someone else to do this job. He talked about his, his insecurities. He talked about his fears. He talked about his lack of knowledge, his age, his, his doubts and his abilities, his, his inability to speak clearly. And so he just gave God every excuse in the book. Now, here's a fact. God is still wanting to draw, God still wants to draw ordinary people like you and like me out of our fears, out of our insecurities, out of our doubts, out of our just thoughts that we're just incapable of doing things so that he can draw us into experiencing the extra, extraordinary plans that he has for our lives. He wants to use you this morning for his glory. Well, this morning, we're going to look at one of the most well-known stories um, in this book, but also one of the most well-known stories in all of the Bible. It's the story of Pharaoh and the 10 plagues. Now, what is a plague? Well, a plague is not just a disease or an epidemic, but it's any event or thing that afflicts or troubles or harasses. And as, as we're about to see, these 10 plagues, they lived up to their billings. They afflicted, they caused trouble, and they harassed not only Pharaoh, but the people of, of Egypt. Now, before they actually happened, I want you to know that God predicted that they would happen. He predicted the, the, the plagues. God knew the condition of Pharaoh's heart. He knew that this man's heart was, was, was arrogant. He was stubborn and he had a heart that was, it was hard as stone. And he knew that, that Pharaoh was gonna reject Moses' request to let the people of Israel go. And he also knew that the only way that he was actually gonna be able to grab Pharaoh's attention was through these terrible plagues. Nothing else was going to break through to this man's cold, callous heart. Now, if you've been reading through Exodus with me, remember that God told Moses back in Exodus 3 in verse 19 and 20, said, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by my mighty hand. So God says, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. Then we get into Exodus chapter four. And as Moses was packing his bags to go back to Egypt, the Lord reminded Moses of what the outcome would be. In verse 21, he says, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But then God says, I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Now, this is one of the most inter interesting and even, I would say, controversial verses in Scripture that leads to other Scriptures that are just like it. And the question that, that you have to ask yourself when you look at this is, did, 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 did God harden Pharaoh's heart or did Pharaoh choose on his own to harden his own heart? And what you believe about that really is going to determine some of your theology and it's going to determine 
in some ways, what you really believe about God and his character. But, but I, wanna, I want you to see that there's a progression. There's a progression that takes place in the story, okay? First, God predicts that he will harden Pharaoh's heart before it actually ever happened. And then out of grace and mercy, God gives Pharaoh several opportunities to submit to him, to repent, to, to stop the plagues before they, they even took place. But, but the Bible tells us on several times here that Pharaoh actually hardened his own heart. And then we see God stepping in and actually hardening Pharaoh's heart. Now, I'm going to unpack this a little bit more in just a moment, okay? But here's what I want you to know, okay? You, you, you need to know this right now. A hardened heart is not something that happens overnight, okay? It's, it's actually a subtle progression that takes place over time. And very few people wake up in the morning and, you know, and just go, you know, God, I declare I'm hardening my heart before you right now. They don't do that. A hardened heart is, is not something that just happens to evil kings like a Pharaoh or, or men who betray Jesus Christ like Judas. No, a hardened heart can happen to anyone. And even though God says that it is not his will that anyone perish, there are people all over the world that have hardened their hearts towards God's offer of, of forgiveness and salvation that has been made available because of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on our behalf on the cross. God has given Every person, a free will to accept or reject his son, Jesus. God never forces anyone to receive salvation. And the Holy Spirit never forces himself on any individual. And at the same time, as followers of Jesus, we can also choose to, choose to harden our hearts. We can harden our hearts towards the things that are on the heart of God. We can harden our hearts towards other people. We can harden our heart towards authority, the authority that God puts in our lives. We can harden our hearts to the commands of scripture, to the commands of Jesus. But here's the good news. There is a cure for a hardened heart. I don't care how hard your heart has gotten, there is a cure for it. And it's the good news of the gospel. It's God's offer of grace. Because of Jesus, God can take any heart in any condition that has been hardened and he can receive it, he can cleanse it, he can wash it, he can breathe new life into it, he can make it whole once again, and he can cause it to be used for his purposes and for his glory. God longs to draw you out, to draw out your heart, your hard-heartedness so that he can draw you into his grace. Now, with your Bibles open, I want to unpack some of the story to really get us to where we want to land this morning, which is in Exodus chapter seven. But I want to go back for a moment and just talk about chapter five for a moment. Moses and Aaron, they appear before Pharaoh for the very first time and they, they make an appeal. They say, the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they can go into the wilderness and hold a religious ceremony in my honor. And Pharaoh says, now some of this I'm going to paraphrase so you just understand. Pharaoh says, is that so? And, and who exactly is this God that I should listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and under no circumstances will I let these people go. And Moses and Aaron dig in and they persist with their request. But once again, Pharaoh arrogantly denies their, their request. So in retaliation against God and Moses, Pharaoh sends this, this word down to the Egyptian slave drivers and the foremen who were over the slaves, the people of Israel. And he says this, do not give the Israelites any more straw to make their brick. And at the same time, do not reduce their production quota for bricks. Matter of fact, what I want you to do is I want you to double down on their workload and make life even harder for them. 
Well, the people of Israel begin to, uh, they begin to uh, complain to Moses and Moses goes back and he complains to God. And God once again repeats the covenant that he has made with the people of Israel and he recommits to the promise that he made to them to deliver them out of slavery and the promise that he had made to Abraham that he would give them a land of their own. But the people refused to listen to Moses And God tells Moses to go back to Pharaoh again and demand, demand that he let the people of Israel leave Egypt. And once again, Moses tells God, I cannot do it. God, I cannot do it. These people won't listen to me. So why should Pharaoh listen to me? And then he says this, I'm no order, God. I'm not great of speech. You've got the wrong man. And in Exodus chapter six, verses, verse 13, God, now he orders Moses and Aaron to go back to Pharaoh. And he demands, I want you to tell him to let the people of Israel go. I'm not negotiating with you, Moses, any longer. I've given you Aaron, to, you know, I really wish I didn't have to, but I'm gonna give you Aaron to go with you. I'm not, I'm not negotiating with you anymore. I'm telling you to do it. I'm commanding you to do it. So in Exodus chapter seven, verse 10, Moses and his brother Aaron are standing before the most powerful man in the world, the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. And I want you to remember now at this moment, Moses is 80 years old. Aaron is 83 years old, okay? So no matter how old you are, God can still use you. And Aaron standing before Pharaoh at, with God's direction, he takes his staff and he throws it down at, the, at Pharaoh's feet. And when he does that, it turns into a snake, and then Pharaoh goes, I, I can, I can one-up that. He calls his magicians out, all who have staffs in their hands, and they throw their staffs down on the ground, and they all, there's snakes everywhere now, okay? But Aaron's staff, which is now a snake, consumes all of the other snakes. And he picks up the snake, and it turns into a staff again. Now, how did Pharaoh respond to this? Well, the Bible tells us that he hardened his heart. Verse 13, still... Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now at this point, God has had enough. God's had enough of of, of this stubborn, arrogant, hard-hearted man. So he gives Moses a directive. He says, okay, this is what I want you to do now. Go to Pharaoh tomorrow morning and meet with him as he goes down to the river. Stand on the riverbank with your staff in your hand and say these words to him. Verse 16 of chapter 7. The Lord God, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews sent me to you. And here's what he wants me to say to you. Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die and the Nile will stink and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. Moses and Aaron do exactly what God commands. And Pharaoh snubs his nose at them and at God and the plagues officially begin. Now, I wanna throw the first plague up here on the screen. And and one of the reasons, I wanna show you something if I could for a moment. The first plague is the fact that water becomes blood. Now, you'll notice some words after that. Many scholars believe that every one of these 10 plagues was directed to expose and defeat a false God of Egypt, okay? And so the first plague uh, is, is this word here, I'm not going to tempt uh, Osiris, I guess, but is the God of the Nile. Now, if you were to go to Egypt today, honestly, you can still go into stores and you can buy these little relics of these gods and they still in some ways recognize them, all right? But for an entire week now, the entire 
river. The Nile River was nothing but blood. Now listen, for the Egyptians, back then the Nile was, the, was a basic source of life. All of their water for all of their needs came from this one river. Plus fish was a major part of their diet. And so God's first punch was right to the heart of Egyptian life. How did Pharaoh respond? The Bible says his heart remained hardened. He sat in his palace and he tried to get the whole thing out of his mind. If I can just not think about it, it'll go away. And Moses and Aaron go back to him again and say, God has said, let my people go. And we get into plague number two, which is frogs cover the land. Now imagine going outside this building today and I mean, frogs are everywhere. Frogs are in your car, frogs are in your house, frogs are in your desk at work. You pull the drawer out, frogs jump out at you. You you open up your refrigerator to get milk, frogs. You get in your bed tonight, you pull back the cover, frogs, they're everywhere, all right? And the Lord told the Egyptians, he says, the Nile River is gonna be swarmed by them. He says, you're going to go into your house. They're going to come into your house. You're, you're going to be in your bedrooms. They're going to be in your beds, your kitchens, your cupboards. They're going to be filled with them. You're going to be overwhelmed by frogs. And that's exactly what happened. Verse 8, chapter 8. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses responds to Pharaoh, you, 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 you set the time, big boy. You let me know. You tell me when you want me to pray for you, when you want me to pray for the officials, pray for your people, and I will pray to God and the frogs will disappear. Now, now honestly, Pharaoh has a strange reply to this. He says, do it tomorrow. Why not do it today? I mean, he wants to do it tomorrow. I don't know if he wanted some frog legs. I have no idea what's going on here, okay? Do it tomorrow. Verse 10. Moses says, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And verse 15 tells us that as soon as the frogs were gone, once again, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Now, one of the symptoms of a hardened heart is insincerity. I mean, you want, you want the consequences to stop. You want the pain to go away, but you don't really want to heart, soften your heart before God. You, you, you don't really want to fall under his authority. And that's where Pharaoh is in the story. He wants the pain to go away. He wants the consequences to stop, but he, he doesn't really want to fall under God's authority. So the plagues continue. Plague number three, gnats cover the people and cover animals. Now, I don't know about you. I hate gnats. I really do. I, I'd rather deal with frogs than gnats any day long, any day. In Egypt here, there's gnats everywhere. Even the Pharaoh's magicians who have been able to counter every, every miracle and every plague with their own magic, they now confess to Pharaoh, this, this right here, this is the finger of God. Now, if, I, if I'm one of Pharaoh's magicians back then, at this point, I'm hopping on the first available camel and I am getting out of Cairo. Enough's enough here. I've seen enough, but not Pharaoh. Verse 19, it says, but Pharaoh's heart remained hard and stubborn. So plague number four comes into play, which is flies swarm the land. Now, come on, flies are, gnats are one thing, but flies are nasty, right? And, and Moses tells Pharaoh, he says, flies are going to swarm the land. Egyptians' homes will be filled by them. But this time in the region of Goshen, 
where the Israelites live, not one fly will be found here. Now, why is that? Well, because God wanted now to show Pharaoh that he had the power over land. He had the power over regions. He had the power over people groups. He had the power over countries. And he can bring flies to one region and cause them not to come to another place. And he wants to make it clear. He wants to make a clear distinction here between the people of Israel and Pharaoh's people, the people, people of Egypt. And so the Bible tells us that the place where the Egyptians lived was thrown into complete chaos because of the flies. And for a brief moment, it appears that Pharaoh's heart is softening because he begins to negotiate with Moses a bit and he wants to, he want, he's, he's, he's talking to Moses, but here's the deal. He wants to obey God on his own terms which is actually another sign of, of a hardened heart. See, we, we'll obey God, but only on our own terms. And Pharaoh tells Moses, he says, I'll let you sacrifice to your God, but you have to do it right here in Egypt. You can't go out in the wilderness. You have to do it right here. And Moses says, that won't do. So Pharaoh tells him, all right, Moses, I agree to your terms fully. And Moses asks God, okay, remove all the flies, God, which he actually does. And verse 32 says, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. So plague number five came in, the death of livestock. Now the Egyptians, they begin to lose cattle, they lose flocks, while the Israelites do not lose a thing. Now think about this for a moment. God's already removed the supply of fish. For a time, he's removed the supply of water. And now there's no red meat, there's no milk. The plague hits goats and cattle and horses and camels, sheep, donkeys, I mean, imagine the sight and the smell of dead livestock everywhere. You got flies. We don't know what all, we don't know what all happened to the frogs. Either they hopped away or they're just smashed up everywhere. I mean, this is a stinky place here, okay? But Pharaoh's heart remains hardened. And so number six comes in, boils. Now, the Egyptian people, the Bible says they broke out in boils. Whatever animals were left, your cat, your dog, your, your, your gerbil, your hamster, they all had boils, even the magicians that had not gotten out of town had boils on themselves as well. Anyone in here, I mean, let's be, have you ever had a boil before? Anyone? It's one of the most painful things I have ever experienced in my life. And I have a crazy gross story about a boil that I'm going to save for rush camp because you can't handle it, okay? But, but the high school, middle school kids, they'll be all over it. But I got to tell you something, this is a terrible plague, terrible. But notice something else that happens. In chapter nine, verse 12, here's what the Bible says. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Now understand this. God predicted four different times that he would harden Pharaoh's heart. Then four times we see Pharaoh making a choice on his own to harden his own heart. And then 10 times, starting right here in chapter nine, verse 12, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And then there's six other times in the Bible here that states that Pharaoh's heart was hardened, but it, but it doesn't give the cause. Now, I, don't, I, do, I do not purposefully throw around a lot of Greek and Hebrew words up here. Um, I just think sometimes they just go right over our heads. But this is one of those moments where I just think it's necessary. And I, I just want to throw some words up if I could. But there are three different words that are actually used in, in all of these verses here that that describe, they're, they're used for the words harden or hardening, okay? The first one, is the word hazak, and it means to, to be firm or strong. And there's actually another word that's similar with a different variation. You change some, like a little thing on it and it changes it. And then there's kavad, which means to be heavy or dull. And then there's kasa, which means to be difficult or, or obstinate. 
The majority of the time when God is hardening Pharaoh's heart, it's the word hazak. And God is literally coming alongside of a heart that has already been hardened. And he's making his heart, he's making Pharaoh's heart strong and courageous to be able to express what is already in his heart, which is a heart of defiance against God. Okay? His heart's already been hardened. God's just coming alongside and he's making him firm and courageous to express what's already inside there. But Pharaoh had also made a choice by his own free will to harden his heart. And three times it's the word kaved and once it's the word kasah. Okay? Now, some of you are going, Why? that's just going right over my head. I don't care. For some of you, you're like, wait a minute now. You're messing with my theology a little bit here. Okay? Listen, I want to tell you something. There are some things about the Bible that we, we just go, we agree upon these things. These are things that are non-negotiable. You know, salvation is a free gift. It's offered to us by grace. We receive it by faith alone. It's only through Christ. The Bible is an errant word of God. And we, there's other things like that, that we just go, those are non-negotiables. But listen, I want to tell you something. As, as I go through this, okay, I would be arrogant to think that I have this whole thing figured out. And I have chosen after years I, just to live in the tension of that. Okay, and I know for some folks, they, I have 100% figure out. I think that's just arrogance. And I just want to warn you against that, okay? Because there's good people in this church on both sides. I have staff members that would disagree with me on some of this stuff. But we, we choose to live somewhat in the tension, have unity on those things. And you know what? At the end of the day, we're all out there supposed to be, you know, serving God and sharing the gospel. But here we are. God, God gives Pharaoh chance after chance after chance to repent of this hardened heart. God extends grace to Pharaoh on more than one occasion. God's heart for Pharaoh was the same as it is for everyone that has ever lived. He does not want anyone to perish. And in time and time again in this story, we see this prideful, arrogant Pharaoh willingly rejecting God and choosing to harden his heart. And every time Pharaoh rejected God's commands, his heart became more callous than it was before. And finally, because God is righteous, because God is also just, just as much as he is loving, he does exactly what he says he would do. As a judgmental, as a judgment against his continual rejection of God's mercy and his offer of deliverance and grace from these plagues, God takes what is already a hardened heart and he makes it even harder. So Pharaoh and the Egyptians would, what, 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 what verse 16, chapter nine says, so that they would see how powerful God really is and that God's name would be spread throughout the earth. When Moses first came to Pharaoh with a word from, from God, Pharaoh's response was this, right from the very beginning, who is this Lord that I should obey him? Puffed his chest out and God offered him grace after grace after grace until God finally said, Pharaoh, let me just show you who I am. And let me show the rest of the world just how powerful I am. And the plagues continued. Plague number seven was just hail. It was thunder. It was lightning. Hail was coming down, destroying everything. And in verse 27, chapter nine, it says, then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail and I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. And Moses says to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the Lord that the, that the earth is the Lord's. And then he says this, 
As for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. Moses says, Pharaoh, there's conviction here, but, but you still refuse to repent of your pride and your stubbornness. And in verse 35, so the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people of Israel go just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Which leads us to number eight, lots of locusts. I mean, locusts everywhere. Locust covers the whole earth. I mean, these little grasshopper things are like, these little critters are destroying everything. All the vegetation is completely destroyed. And at this point, it appears that Pharaoh's ready to let the Israelites go. But God makes his heart strong and courageous to show his true intentions. And his heart is hardened, which leads us to number nine. Darkness covers the earth. The darkness is so, so thick you can feel it. Not even a lantern can penetrate it. But where the Israelites were living in Goshen, the Bible says there was light. And then finally, the last and, and the most famous of plagues, the death of all firstborn sons in Egypt. Now, I want you to hear this. Because of one man, because one man decided to defiantly shake his fist in the face of God and to blatantly disobey him over and over and over and again, God sends his death angel into the land and he kills every firstborn son of every Egyptian family, including the firstborn son of Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh's heart is finally broken, he agrees to let the Israelites go. And we're gonna see next week that it's not quite the case. Now, I, I want you to understand what I really believe about this story. I know sometimes we look at foreign nations and we look at this and then we go, God, kill them, strike them, you know? This story is a tragedy. It really is. I mean, these are people. These are people with kids and it's a, it's a, it's a country that people, that, that, a lot of people died here and suffered. It's a tragedy. But there's so much that we can take away from this that I think applies to us today. I wanna give you some of those takeaways. And here's number one. Every time we choose to harden our hearts, we build up more and more callous layers between us and God. We, we all know people. We all know people who have placed themselves in this situation. They reject appeals. They ignore warning signs. They scoff at God's word. They arrogantly st- stiffen their necks at God and they go their own way. And they just build up layer after layer after layer until almost they get to the place they just can't hear you. They cannot hear God any longer because it's just our, their hearts are so hardened. A few weeks ago, as you know, I was, I was in um, Scotland with some of our staff. We're, we're, I'm planning a pastor's vision trip to, for July. We're also pl- planning an upcoming missions trip that we're going to announce really soon. And, you know, I got up early Sunday morning um, and, and I decided to go through a prayer walk through the streets of Edinburgh. And I was praying for the, the, the people of Scotland. I was praying for wisdom, but I was also praying for our church and I was praying for our community. And the community was going through some tough times, tough moments that dealt with some racist stuff a, moment, uh, a few weeks back. And I was praying for our community and our leaders. And so I, I got to this place. I was, uh, there's a, actually a street that goes down through the old part of Edinburgh called the Royal Mile. It starts at the Edinburgh Pal- uh, Castle and ends at the, the Palace of Mary, Queen of Scots. And I got to this place in in the street as I was praying and I took a picture because it just spoke so clearly to me of where the nation of Scotland has has, has landed. And I want you to see it for a moment. Uh, This is really early in the morning. I just want you to know pretty much in January, February, it looks like that about four in the evening as well. But um, 
in the background of that picture, you just see that beautiful cathedral. And it's a cathedral from the 1500s. It's John Knox, was, who was the, the great Scottish reformer who had been influenced by Calvin. And he was the one who, who brought the Reformation to Scotland back in the 1500s. And out of that Reformation, thousands of people in Scotland were saved. Um, there, there were missionaries that were sent all over the world that impacted places like India and China and different places. Uh, I have relatives that came over from Scotland into Canada and, and different places who, who were, 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 were followers of Jesus. But I mean, for a long time, the nation of Scotland, this little nation impacted the world for the, with the gospel. In the 1700s, there was a, a guy who, who was born and became a very famous Scottish philosopher. And so on one side of that street, you see that, 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 that um, the St. Giles Cathedral, the, the place where John Knox preached and the Reformation happened. But then you see that statue right there on the other side of the street. And that's a statue of a guy named David Hume, who in the 1700s was probably Scottish's greatest philosopher. And I want you to know something about that picture that you probably don't know if you just were looking at it. But in one hand, in his, in his right hand, he's holding up one of the tablets of the Ten Commandments. And if you notice, it's empty. As a symbol to say that these tablets basically mean nothing. These words are empty words. The other tablet, as you can see, is under his left foot. As a defiant, stepping on God and saying, your words are no longer valid here. They've never have been valid. They mean nothing. And so, as a result of just his philosophy, secularism, humanism, naturalism, naturalism, it just began to spread slowly over time into the hearts of the people of Scotland. It made its way outside. It impacted Darwin, who impacted our country and the world. And, and, and as a result of this one man, all of a sudden, people's hearts in Scotland became divided, where all of a sudden, where everything used to be spiritual, now we had the secular and the spiritual. And, and we're like, we can have a secular and a spiritual, which is a lie. It's a divided heart. And slowly over time, this nation hardened its hearts towards God. And today, as I mentioned before, now today, 52% of this country claim to be atheist. Less than 2% actually go to a church. Less than 1% of the people of Scotland actually claim to know Jesus Christ as their personal savior. And I want to tell you something, as I stood at that statue and I prayed for the nation of Scotland, I thought, Lord, this is exactly what's happening to America. It's exactly what's where we're going, where we have separated out the secular from the spiritual. We put them in different boxes. We we compartmentalize them in our hearts. And slowly over time, we're, we're becoming just like that, where we are taking the word of God, we're taking the things of God and we're putting them off to the side without, you know, we're not putting the Bible under our foot, but we're doing it with our words and our actions and our thoughts and our deeds. And we're holding up and, and so many now are holding up their fists to God and saying, we defy you. You mean nothing to us anymore. We're going to do our own thing. And I believe now Scotland is at a place where, especially in the younger generation, where they're crying out and saying, this doesn't work. And it makes me sad that I feel like as a country, that's where we're heading. Chuck Swindoll says, the longer you harden your heart, the more difficult it is to let God's light break through. And the more you harden your heart and you allow the secular to, 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 to seep in and you separate the two, you become, you become hardened. The second thing is, there's always consequences when we harden our heart and disobey God. 
Now, I want you to hear this. Today, we live under a covenant of grace. Jesus ushered in a covenant of grace. When this was written, it was, it was, it was the Abrahamic covenant. But listen, there's a lot of preachers and people out there that believe that God's taken hurricanes and he's directing them towards nations to punish them. Or he's allowing famines to happen to punish people groups. And, and he's bringing disease upon people groups because, you know, to punish them for a particular sin. No. The Bible says in Romans 8 that the earth is suffering from the consequences of sin. It groans for Christ to come back and make things right. God's not, I mean, I, listen, when you hear a pastor stand up and say, God's, God's putting punish, he's pouring his wrath out on these people group for this. That's not happening. It is not, it, God's will is that every man, every woman have a chance to receive the gospel. So when Jesus came, he ushered in a covenant of grace. And while God is still a righteous and just God, his character never changes. And he's now chosen to deal with mankind in a very different way, okay? But, but there are still consequences for making sinful choices. And there are still consequences to rejecting God's word. And there are still consequences to hardening our hearts towards God. And oftentimes, God will actually allow us to face those consequences. Let me give you just, an, let me put this in perspective. If the speed limit, okay, is 55 degrees or 55 miles an hour, okay? Help me, Lord. All right. It's not there to restrict you from having fun. It's not there to keep you from experiencing all the joy that your car could bring you, okay? No, it's there because road engineers who are smarter than us have determined that that, that, that is the safest speed for you to travel on that road. Why? Because they want us to avoid terrible wrecks and fatalities. However, if, if, I'm, if I'm going 80 miles an hour and I get pulled over by a police officer and he gives me a ticket, listen, God's not punishing me. I've brought punishment on myself in the form of a fine. There are consequences, okay, that are written down that if I do that, I'm going to get a fine for speeding and probably my insurance rates are going to go up. Those are consequences for speeding. And the same is true for the commands of God. None of these commands that are in this word that come from Jesus, they're, they're, they're not there to make our lives miserable. They're not there so God can control us like puppets. No, they're there because God loves us and he knows what's best for us and he wants us to avoid all of those things that will cause us to ruin our lives and ruin our futures. And he knows that there are consequences for those things when we choose to disobey these commands and when we choose to sin. And just like Pharaoh, the consequences of our sins can cause us, can cause innocent people to suffer for generations. Lately, um, some of our staff and, and, and I have been dealing with some really tough marital issues inside the church and outside the church. And it, it, it shouldn't surprise any of us. We, the past few months we have dug in uh, to, to, I think, doing some of our best work with, with marriages. We've, we started this uh, thing on Monday nights called Reengage, And man, we've just heard so many victory stories coming out of that um, marriage ministry, um, just helping people to take broken marriages and make them whole again, taking marriages that maybe are not the best and helping them to become great, helping marriages that need a little tweak. But at the same time, we've been dealing with some tough, tough stuff. And it shouldn't surprise any of us. But it's heartbreaking. And I look at some of these things, and, and there's just this, listen, over almost 30 years of doing this, there's just a predictable pattern I see over time. Over time, I, I watch a man or a woman who harden their heart to God just slowly. 
And then over time, they harden their heart to their spouse and then they begin to dabble in sinful behavior and they, they start dabbling in things online and they, make a, they begin to emotionally cheat on their spouse and then it turns into physical cheating. And then, and then I watch the fallout. And the fallout is families are divided, friends become divided, children are devastated, communities are impacted, churches are, are rocked, and generations suffer. Generations suffer. And here's a warning for today from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. Why would God give us a warning like that today? Because he knows the consequences for sin. And like a loving father, he does not want you to bring those consequences upon yourself and for those around you still. He still warns us not to harden our hearts. Don't do it. Third thing, the root cause of a hardened heart is pride. When you look at Pharaoh, you have to ask yourself, how does a man get so many chances after seeing such devastation and yet still choose to harden his heart? It's his pride. His pride was deep. Now understand this. Here's why. Back in the day, the Egyptians made the Pharaoh a god. And they gave him the same status as all other, all other gods. So for this Pharaoh to release control of the Israelites, regardless of how horrific these plagues would have been, it would have meant that he was recognizing that the God of Israel was more powerful than he was. It, 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 it would have meant that he was confessing that someone was wiser and more powerful than him. And up until this moment, he's been the most powerful man in the world. But listen, that's the biggest reason we choose to harden our heart, isn't it? It's just pride. We, we don't want to give up the throne of our lives to anyone. We don't want to hold, we want, we want to hold on to the illusion that we're really in control when we're, when we're not. We're, we're really not. We want the freedom to make our own choices. And then when we deal with consequences, we get mad and blame God when we have to face those things. And what is that? It's just all pride. But James chapter four, verse six basically offers a solution to this. And it starts out this way. James says, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, one of the things that, 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 is, that was true in the days of Pharaoh is just still true to this day. God opposes the proud. He allows us to face the consequences of our sin, which sometimes feels like plagues to us. I mean, we just feel like we're going through plagues. There's so many things that have our sinful decisions. They cause our prayer lives to be hindered. We can walk away. We just literally walk outside of God's will and outside of the covering his will, of his will. There's so many things that we bring upon ourselves that God says, don't, don't do that. But praise God, there's more to this verse because God says he gives grace to the humble and not just grace, he gives grace generously. So the cure for a hardened heart is God's grace. Because, because of God's unmerited grace, there's not a heart. I want you to know there's not a heart in this room or outside of this room that is beyond repair. There's not a heart that is beyond God's reach. There's not a heart that is too hardened that cannot be softened. And the consequences of your decisions, may, they may make you feel right now like you're just facing one plague after the next. But please know that God offers his grace to you at this very moment. He, he doesn't want you to spend another moment in your pain or in your misery. The Old Testament prophet Habakkuk cried out to God. He said, God, in wrath, remember mercy. 
And God has done just that. Jesus, who endured God's wrath to the greatest degree by going to the cross on our behalf, now by grace, he offers you forgiveness. He offers you a chance to bring your hardened heart before him, to be made new, to be made whole, to be made tender once again. But God asks you to humble yourself. He asks you to repent of your sin. Repent means to change your mind. It's a change that's so powerful that it actually causes you to turn and go in a different direction. And I want you to know that once you do this, because God says a broken, contrite spirit, I will not deny. Once you do this, I want you to know his grace will flood over you again. And once again, this faithful, loving father will embrace you. He will embrace you. He will not turn you away. God longs to draw you out of your hard-heartedness so he can draw you into his grace. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? I'm gonna ask these guys to lower the lights because I want every one of you just to have a moment of privacy. And I would just ask that you, that you would just forget about everyone else that's around you. And that you would just allow yourself to have a moment alone with God. There are some of you who've walked into this place and maybe for years you have been rejecting God's offer of forgiveness and salvation. Maybe you have even held your fist up to God or, or you have just arrogantly said no, no, no. And today the Holy Spirit is convicting you of that and, and, and he's reminding you that that offer is still it's still today. It's still valid for today. And, and I want to encourage you, don't say no to that again. Don't, don't walk out of here and say no to that again. Because there are consequences to rejecting God. It ultimately ends up in hell. A very real place called hell. And so today, if, if this is your day where you want to say yes to God, Lord, I'm, I repent of my sin. Change my mind. I would like to receive salvation by faith the Lord's offering you grace. Would you pray with me right now? Say, Lord, at this moment, I, I, I don't want my heart to be hard towards you any longer. And so Lord, because of your offer once again to me to be forgiven, to have salvation in my life, to be, to be freed up from the animosity that, that exists between me and you, Lord, I, I receive Salvation, And I, I, accept, I, I accept what Jesus Christ has done on the cross as payment for my sin. Lord, I cannot pay for these sins. You, you sent Jesus to do it. And so I believe that Jesus is the son of God and I receive salvation into my life. And I, Lord, I ask you to forgive me for every moment I've rejected you and said no to you. Today, would you take this cold, callous, hard heart and make it new, make it new. And Lord, I... I want to walk with you. I want to know what it's like to be a child of God. If you just did that, I want you to get your connected card out, fill it out, take it to the help center. You can walk it over to me or one of our pastors over here at the end of the service. We'd love to talk with you and help you take your next step in following Jesus. Now, you don't have to be completely lost to have a hard heart. And some of you in here today, you're sitting here going, man, I'm so thankful that I received salvation. But yet at the same time, there's a, there's a place in your heart 
that's hardened towards God. You say, what do you mean? Well, maybe one of the reasons you're having marital difficulties right now is because there's, there's, a, there's a place in your heart that you've hidden away that's just hard. You're holding on to it. And it's what's really causing you marital issues today. It's, it's that hardness in your heart. Can I tell you something? The gospel can heal that hardened space in your heart. For some of you, maybe you, 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 know, you watch the news and you look at people groups on TV and maybe there's just a, a place in your heart that you're holding on to that racism lives, bigotry lives, hatred lives, bitterness lives. And you, anytime someone puts something out there, something happens, it just, you, you, you just feel it. Jesus died for that. He wants to cleanse you of that. He wants to forgive you of that, but you have to bring that to him and repent of that. Bring that hardness to him. Let him deal with that today. Maybe you have some things in your past that you're just holding on to and it's, it's just, you've faced some consequences and some struggles. And as a result of it, your, your heart's been hardened. God, the gospel can, can heal that as well. Jesus, the blood of Jesus has the ability to, to, take, to take that and soften it and just make all of that new. Listen, I, I'm asking you today to do a heart exam right now. To humble yourself before the Lord, to drop your pride, every one of us. And to say, Lord, here's my heart. I open, do some open heart surgery. I open it up to you today. And I invite you to go into even the smallest of places. And if there is even a, just a remnant, a speck of, of hardness towards you, Lord, would you deal with that today? And may I have the courage and the humility to confess those things to you as you bring those to my mind. Oh Lord, would you help us today? Would you help us today? to open up our hearts to you, Lord, because you say a, a, a broken, contrite spirit heart, you will not deny. And Father, I want our church to be healthy. I want us to, to receive forgiveness. I want us to be able to, to receive all that you have for us today. I want us to be able to be used in powerful ways. But Lord, we gotta bring a hardness before you. The hard, the hard places in our heart that, that cause us from keeping us from experiencing everything that you want for us in our relationships, in our lives, in our walk with you. Do a work today. Do a work, Father, please. Do a work in this pastor's heart. Do a work in our people's heart. In Jesus' name. Now, I'm gonna do something that we don't do very often here, okay? I know every time we start a song, everybody stands and visitors and guests are going, what just happened, All right? I wanna ask you to remain seated. And I, want you, I wanna ask you just to listen to the song. You've probably never heard it before. And as, we, as you listen to it and listen to the words, would you just open up your heart to God and would you just let God do some heart surgery right now on you, okay? So I'm gonna ask that we don't move around. I'm gonna ask that you don't stand, okay? I don't wanna restrict your worship, but I'm just, I want everyone around just to have a, a private moment before God, heart open, totally open to him, humility in front of us and say, God, would you work right now? And let's let him work in this place. If you wanna get up from your seat and come to the steps, you can do that. Move today in a powerful way, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.